Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast. I have Andy with me. Andy, how are you? I'm all good, thank you. How about yourself? I'm great. I was a little bit late because we just had two more sign-ups for Commit to Six. But you know what? Yeah, I like the attitude because they were like, I don't want to wait six weeks. I want to get going now. Can you please, please sneak me in? And I was like, all right then. Oh, hi. She's she's pissed off because I'm not letting her outside. Too hot. No, she just wanders in and out like a lunatic all day. Oh, oh good. Anyway, that's what I've been doing. And oh, I read an amazing post this morning on the group, which I thought I would read out. So it shows um a graph of scale weight from Tara, and it shows like overall trends, but then it also shows fluctuations. And she's like analyzed it. And it's quite interesting, actually. So over the past five months, these are some interesting patterns. She says, 49% of my scale readings showed my weight staying the same or increasing from the previous day. Right. Bear it just for context for this. Um, Does it say how much she's lost? Oh, no, I don't know if I can see that. Anyway, she's lost. Oh, uh, she's lost a decent amount of weight. Point being, she's losing weight, right? But 49% of scale weight readings show my weight staying the same or increasing from the previous day. Almost half of my scale weight readings looks like I was making, quote unquote, no progress. And previously, I would have used these days as an excuse to give up and overeat. Then she says, I had multiple occasions where scales would increase for four to seven days in a row. These were tough and it took a concerted effort to keep going with the right behaviors and when I wasn't seeing the numbers I hoped for. And she says, in any month, there were random spikes, random drops and steady periods. Um, Most of these don't correlate with any change in meals or activity levels. They were just random fluctuations. And then she says the big picture shows, which unfortunately you can't see on the podcast, but the big picture shows consistently definitely pays off regardless of the scales going up or down day to day. And she shared it, she says, I hope this is helpful for anyone struggling with the numbers on the scales, even the quote unquote bad scales days, scale days. The absolute best thing you can do is keep going. And I wish people could see this. <laughs> um, but I, when she posted it, she said that she previously struggled with emotionally reacting to scale weight changes. And inspired by Emma's awesome podcast advice, I decided to consciously track but not to react to the number on scales i've kept this up for five months during which time i was about 90 percent adherent with a calorie deficit daily movement and the strength training workouts anyway the she's lost a lot of weight which sadly you can't see on this but i thought that was so interesting that like when you really analyze it it's like actually most days it will look like you're not making progress and then when you zoom out you're like oh okay yeah i am so hopefully anyone thinking about giving up because the scales haven't dropped for a few days. Um, don't. Patience. Patience. Oh. Play the long game. Yep. Okay, Daisy. With my new cal- calorie target, I'm often feeling hungry. I'm vegan and I'm just reaching 100 grams of protein. That's great for being vegan. Mm-hmm. I eat eight plus fruit and veg daily and I aim for around 400 to 500 at each of my three meals plus a protein shake. Do you have any tips for making sure I'm satiated and not feeling hungry by the end of the day? Thank you. Again, it's 
probably you're probably going to ex especially being vegan you're going to exceed the, the fruit and veg intake that we probably give you that we recommend of the sort of six to seven portions a day it's one of the biggest one of the easiest ways to bulk out meals is veg like green veg great way of bulking out meals as far the you get so many more um so much more food volume for the calories that you're intaking so you're probably going to have to bulk out that but again play it by ear because it is a something that may end up with you feeling bloated, which you've got to notice, and that's all to do with like food volume. So you kind of have to tread a bit of a fine line. It's a bit of trying testing you're going to have to go for, see if it works. If it doesn't work, you might need to back off. Um, but yeah, it, food volume is the, sort of the number one element on this one. Yeah, you're actually doing really well. Like you're doing a lot of the things we would suggest already. So like hitting 100 grams of protein within your calories as a vegan is freaking awesome eating eight plus fruit and veg a day like as Andy's saying like our first kind of go-to after protein would be food volume saying that you could quite easily be eating eight plus fruit and veg and not getting that much food volume so there are certain things that really help to bulk out meals like I I actually do this because I love the crunch that's another thing now we're not talking so much about like physiological hunger but just being satiated I find that having different textures of food is important or that I'll crave certain textures of food so like iceberg lettuce for the crunch oh un unbelievable plus iceberg lettuce is essentially just water yep. <laughs> kind of like crunchy water so you can bulk your meals out with that especially in the summer when maybe like say you were going to have a pasta salad type thing we could have freaking if you wanted to like half an iceberg lettuce in there to bulk out the meal significantly that will slow you down as well, meaning that you'll probably be more satiated. The second thing I'll say is that it's actually really normal, normal to feel hungry if fat loss is your goal. Like it's not a bad thing. Now being absolutely starving, certainly not a good thing, but feeling some element of hunger, not a bad thing. And usually just means as well that you enjoy your meals that little bit more. I don't eat unless I'm hungry. So like I'll wait to have dinner and usually I don't have to wait that long, but like I want to be a little bit hungry before dinner. So a lot of people kind of eat at the first sign of hunger. Like remember that thing about, uh, I think it was an advert about being thirsty and it was like, if you're thirsty, it's too late. You're already dehydrated. And it was more like a LucasAid campaign to get people to hydrate more with LucasAid. Yeah. But I think people have to take the same principle and put it onto hunger sometimes. Like you should never be hungry or hungry like is a bad thing. And actually, it means you enjoy food more. We don't want excessive hunger, but some hunger isn't a bad thing and is probably a little bit inevitable with fat loss. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's if you're hungry, you will enjoy the food on your plate more, which obviously means that you'll enjoy your diet and if you're cutting back on calories and stuff too. So, mm. yeah, I think we kind of, you need to surf the urge. Yeah, it's good. When when you're cutting calories, if you cut back on calories, you are going to be hungry. You're just going to have to, unfortunately, certain times is just deal with it. And distract yourself. Like, or you'll also probably notice that like your environment dictates your hunger a little bit as well. Like if you're sitting bored in front of the TV when you normally eat, or you're sitting in the kitchen or around food, it's like, yeah, of course. Like, are you actually hungry or are you just habitually trained that in that situation you normally eat? can you go off and do something else and like distract yourself for a little bit? And often you find you weren't really hungry. There just wasn't a lot going on. 
Um, okay, Sarah. So on days I lift heavier, I'm getting 150 to 160 grams of protein because in powerlifting, I was always told you need more on those days to really optimize muscle repair and growth. Is that true? Or would I be better off just staying 100 to 120 grams every single day? That's not true. Yeah, it's not true, unfortunately. But um, yeah, if you enjoy eating that much, fire on and eat that much. There's no reason why you can't. But if you drop it back down to your 120, you're going to have a little bit more flexibility when it comes to stuff like carbohydrates or fat intake. So you can be a bit more, you can play around a little bit more with your other food choices. I think that's kind of one of the big issues. Like even me, I'm 100 kilos. I'm probably 150 grams to 180 grams of protein. Whereas previously, everybody would be like, 100 kilos a person needs to be like 300 grams of protein. Like, no, like it's expensive. It's quite tough if you're trying to eat that much. Um, like that's a lot of protein because it's a satiating foods food source. Like so, you're going to be pushing it in. Um, and if you cut back a little bit, you will be able to you be able to have a little bit more enjoyment with your food. So, or, or you could potentially have you could potentially have that um, chocolate mousse that you wanted or whatever it was because you have a little bit more to play with. So yeah. Yeah, like protein's great, but too much of a good thing is no longer a good thing. And I mean, 150 grams of protein would be totally fine, as Andy's saying, if you enjoy it, right? So you're going to get the vast majority of the benefit of protein from about 100 to 120 grams if you're, I mean, I've set your target, so I know that's roughly right for your height and weight, or more to the point, your total mass. But if you're also dieting, and you're eating high protein, then then you've kind of got this situation where sometimes you're limiting yourself on maybe carbs, but primarily fats as well, because fats is essential. You like you need to get some of the essential fatty acids from your diet for optimal health. Not so much with carbohydrates, but like that's more just enjoyment. But there are essential amino acids that you need and essential fatty acids that you need. And you don't want to cut fat too low, especially as a woman. So now you're kind of weighing up that. So I think it's not a bad thing if you like eating that much protein, but also consider other areas of your diet. And back to the question, like, would it optimize muscle repair and growth? Like you're already going to saturate that benefit from mm. getting in 100, 120 grams. So it's not going to add any more to that. Um, and it doesn't really work in that much of a short term time period. Uh, like you'd need significantly more if you were lifting heavy that day like that actually doesn't there's like you know it makes logical sense but in practice it doesn't make that much difference and I'd much rather I don't know if what you're saying here is like I have more on those days but I always have 100 grams or if you have more on those days and like less on the days you don't lift which is definitely something not to do hmm. Um, yeah make sure you're getting even spread throughout the weeks it's not like um, calories where you can just average it out throughout the week actually what we want you to get is at least three servings of at least 20 grams of protein per day and then a bit more than that um, yeah. but that would be like the bare minimum to optimize muscle protein synthesis <laughs> Emma is it okay to substitute swimming for walking some days for your activity levels and how would you translate time in the pool doing slow granny style breaststroke into steps you can't Jonas replied saying get your swimming cap and goggles on <laughs> pretend that you're Rebecca Adlington 
<laughs> I think the only other issue as well with you have this woman is it's zero impact. So actually, it's quite a tough one because you're basically floating, although you're swimming. So it's going to be, it's probably going to translate to a hell of a lot more than you think. So well, you're a hell of a lot less, a hell of a lot more time swimming to translate yes. the equivalent size. Yeah. To the equivalent of steps so you know ten thousand steps maybe an, an hour's walk you're maybe going to have to treble that in swimming if you're granny even maybe more if you're swimming swimming slowly because uh, so, you don't even have gravity act on you so like yeah. my grandma used to swim i can't remember what it was it's like 50 lengths a day or something which was great until i saw what she was doing which was li- like this sort of standard granny style <laughs> like so unbelievably slow <laughs> and I was like you're literally just floating up and down the pool like there's really not much effort being put in yeah. whatsoever. so actually you'd be way better like she lived like two less than two minutes from the pool and I was like you probably burnt more calories expended more energy were more metabolically active walking to the pool than you did actually in the pool yeah. now she enjoyed it so great right but if you you know if you're asking this question of like can I replace swimming with my activity levels when you swim fast it is one of the most highly calorie expending exercises you can do right like we always hear about Michael Phelps had to eat whatever it was like 16,000 calories a day or something and that's because when you swim at speed it's very uneconomical right and you burn a lot of calories doing that when you float up and down a pool like you are expending almost nothing because you don't even have the impact of gravity, like holding yourself up. So really depends on the the level of effort that you're putting in, which is very hard to tell with swimming because it's not like a bike where we could be like, yeah, go to gear, whatever, and pedal at this yeah. um, RPM and all this kind of stuff. And you, you get like a bit more of a gauge on how much effort you're putting in. Yeah. But with swimming, it's a little bit more objective of like, or subjective, more to the point of like, yeah, it felt quite hard. It's like, well, I find all swimming hard because I'm crap at it, but that doesn't mean it's burning a lot of calories. Yeah. But also, I think everybody forgets as well that like the whole Mike Phelps thing's a bit of a misnomer. The guy was in the pool three times a day. He was in the gym three times a day. So it wasn't just swimming that he was doing to burn off 14,000 calories a day. He's doing a shit lot more. He's doing cardio work. He's doing weight training. He's doing three swim sessions a day. And who the hell wants to do that? Michael Phelps. No. That's no, who. Nobody wanted to do that. Not even Michael Phelps wanted to do that. 5 a.m. in the morning. Like, I get up at 5 a.m. anyway, but I'm sure as hell not going to swimming pool at 5 a.m. Oh, well, yeah, fair. But he probably thought, who the hell would want to get up at 5 a.m. in the pouring rain in Edinburgh and walk a dog? That's true, yeah, true. Each to their own. Might as well be swimming in Edinburgh with the weather sometimes. <laughs> right. Uh, Carolyn, is it possible to have too much protein? Some days are closer to 50 grams. So we basically just answered that. Yes, you can have too much if it's impacting the rest of your diet. 150 grams is totally fine. And it's also, there are still, I think a couple of folk have asked this question in the group, there's still people trying to cite the research about protein and kidney kidney issues. The reason that we don't worry about that is because the, the study that they did was done on people with kidney failure or kidney issues. So they already had kidney issues before giving them a high protein diet, which isn't going to help. 
you're if you're healthy, everything's good. Your kidneys can handle a whack load of protein. Um, but if they have issues, you might need to dial back a bit. But hopefully you don't have kidney issues and everything's fine. Yeah. And she doesn't, or I would have noted it already, unless she didn't say it. But yeah, 150 grams is not a huge amount of protein. Um, It might keep you more satiated as well, which is a good thing if you're trying to lose body fat. So not technically a problem unless it starts to impact the other areas of the diet. If you're like, yeah, I get in 150 grams of protein, but I don't have enough calories left to get in two pieces of fruit. Then we've got a bit of an issue. But aside from that, not a problem. Okay, Shifa, um, how would you go about designing a workout plan? Oh, no, we already did this. She's already written a plan, so that's fine. Um, Carly, I'm walking the Yorkshire Three Peaks in under a month. And I wanted some advice around nutrition, what to eat, uh, what to, what, oh, sorry. I want to eat enough to fuel myself, but I don't want to go crazy and overeat. It's 26 miles and it will be about 12 hours of walking. My calorie target is 1600 and my goal is fat loss slash body recomp. Loving commit to six so far. Um, Cause it's a one day thing. What I would probably do is I would do the day before, the day and the day after and take them out of your um, the, the fat loss as being your goal for those three days. Realize that you're not potentially going to make significant movement towards that. But at the same point, you might do because a 26 mile walk is a whack of, it's a, it's a whack of calories to turn over and a lot of the expenditure for your body. So what I would probably do is the day before, I would have your kind of last meal before you like your dinner. I would probably have a couple of hundred calories extra with potentially something like pasta or rice. So a carbohydrate, like a carbohydrate loading. I would have the day, I would eat normally, but what I would probably do is I would probably have a couple of snacks in there as well that are additional to your calories for the day. So if you're on 1600 calories, probably another 400 calories to 600 calories of snacks. And you can choose what you want with that stuff. It's just giving you a little bit more fuel for the walk. Um, a lot of people used to, remember you used to see the folk eating Haribo and stuff in the gym. He's eating wee bags of Haribo like it was like going to be like it was massively muscle building. Um, but something like well, that, that might be. Like they would have completely depleted their glycogen stores by doing three sets on the chest press. Three sets of three normally as well. Like me, come oh, on I now. reload my carbs. Ah, uh, Yeah. But something like that on the day, and then I would play the third day by ear, see how you feel. If you're feeling knackered, if you're feeling t- real tired, I would maybe push your carbohydrates up a little bit to potentially refuel, but the chances of you needing that, probably quite slim. Um, but yeah, I would play the day before, a little bit extra carbs in, in the evening before you go to bed, because they'll be used through fuel for the next day. And then maybe some sort of snacks within, you know, rice cakes, a couple of packs of wee packs of Haribo, some jelly babies, something like that, and have them on the way through your walk. Maybe like one every hour or every couple of hours, just a cut two or three Haribo, keep yourself ticking over. But the big one will be water. So make sure you're high properly hydrated. Make sure you've got enough water when you're in on your bag when you're doing the walk, because that's something that can really affect things moving forward. Mm-hmm. Great tips. Okay, Fran. I'm new to the gym, but I've been working out at home and in a group for the past year. So relatively strong. But what weight should I start with for squats and leg press? 
I don't want to make a fool out of myself using kit for the first time. So just go and try. You cannot make a fool out of yourself, especially not with leg press. Put it on nothing and do a warm up set and then add a little bit and add a little bit. The thing is that might seem like a lazy answer, but we can't possibly tell you. Like feeling I'm a bit strong because I've worked out for a year could be anything between a hundred kilogram squat and and finding the bar too heavy, right? You really don't know until you try. So I would start lower than what you think. Like we all do warm up sets as well. Like you see Andy doing chest press with like three kilogram dumbbells because he's warming up, right? Like that's completely normal. So <laughs> start low and then just ease yourself in and you'll quite quickly start to figure out what's heavy for you and what's not. But the only way you'll possibly know is just to start. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's one of those ones when the first couple of weeks for anybody starting off the like commit to six, whether you've been at a gym for a while or whether you've just started going to the gym, it is it can the gym can be quite frustrating because you're trying to find your foot and you're trying to find the weights that you're going to use. And exactly as Emma said, we can't tell you what to use because we have no idea. If I told you 10, you might cripple yourself using 10s. So, or, you know, if I give you one, you might find that way too easy. So you need to go and find it. And I like to do, I like to use warm up and feeder sets. So what I basically do when I train is I'll have a first set. If I'm doing, for instance, uh, squats for me will be first set will be at 60 kilos. And that's my warm up set. I'll potentially do like a feed. I'll do a feeder set, which is a weight a weight that's midway between my working set and my warm up set, which is just like a kind of weight, like a range finder. So I'll probably do like a hundred kilos at my range finder, and then I would shift up to like a 140, 150 squat, and that would be my working sets. Um, and that's always a good way to do things, and it also gives you a little bit of week on week. If you're finding that you're pushing your what your feeder set up you'll find that your working set can go heavier as well. So it's a nice range finder for where you feel you need to be at the at your working sets. Agree. Okay, Gavin, since my last pre-commit to six weigh-in on Sunday, I've lost 2.5 kilograms. I've always weighed myself pretty regularly and fluctuations are usually a lot smaller. So this is probably as a result of the programme. Now, I know this isn't body fat, in brackets, if only, but it got me thinking, what is it? Super excited by the first week, and my goodness me, journaling has already made a significant difference. So it is probably some body fat, some water retention, and that's about it. (laughs) But water retention for various reasons, right? It could be that you're not eating as much salty food, so you're retaining less water. It could be that you've slightly lowered your carbs, so there's less glycogen stores. That is usually primarily what comes off initially is like you're having less starchy carbs or you're less bloated, or it's actually some people reduce their food volume. I would say, especially men, like normally with women, I'll have them increase their food volume, but often men will slightly reduce their food volume. Not always, but a lot of the time. Um, which means that, yeah, you're going to be a bit lighter. The other thing is when you have a lot of body fat to lose, like I wouldn't be surprised if quite a lot of that is fat loss. Like yeah. I'll say, oh, you know, actually it's one pound a week. Well, no, some people lose much quicker than that. Some people lose much slower than that. It really depends on how much fat you have to lose, right? If I started losing a pound of fat a week, that would be a lot because I don't have a lot of fat at the moment. Whereas yeah. if it was like when we started working together after my back surgery, I was losing like 
two pounds a week easy sometimes a little bit more and most of it was probably fat yeah i had a lot of fat to lose it's all about starting points isn't it i think mm -hmm. that's where people especially people who come at a starting point that you're further into a, a, like a fat loss journey that's the people that need to be more patient because things will will go slower um and the whole point of that one is, is that we don't want to rush it like you know, if you rush it, that's it's just a surefire way of putting it all back on again later on down the line, because you just make it unmanageable for the like kind of long term stuff. Mm -hmm. And the less fat that you have to lose, the poorer the scales become at showing progress. So, like initially, yeah, you might see the scale weight drop and you're seeing it go in the right direction, but as you get leaner and leaner and leaner you'll realize that you might look completely different or you've definitely lost fat, but the scales haven't changed or have barely changed or maybe have even gone up in some instances. So then you've got to look at other measures, like how's your performance? What do you look like in your progress photos? Um, but that's a good thing to kind of note is that when you have less fat, scales aren't a very good measure, especially in the shorter term. Now we know that short term scales aren't a good measure at all, but even if you're quite lean, like even monthly, you're probably not gonna see that much changes in scales. Okay, Mary Rook. I like the name Rook. Maybe, it, yeah. Um, okay, I'm a teacher. I'm off for two weeks. So I'm doing a little tour of the family and friends around the Southwest. Obviously a complete change from my normal routine. But what would your non-negotiables be for this time? I have a little slash less influence on food being cooked for me, etc. I'm trying to get in a good, uh, sorry, I'm trying to get in a morning home workout slash go for a jog at least. Feeling a bit hungry on my 1600 calories. Hard to get my usual volume of veggies. Any help would be appreciated. Okay, great question. And this is often what's hard about like eating out or eating with others or having less control over what you're eating is it's all well and good being like oh you can eat like less calories or you don't have to eat the full portion but you have way less control over food volume as well I think this is one of the things with eating out it's like it's not necessarily the calories per se it's that it's way less satiating and per weight of food or per volume of food you're getting like less reduction in hunger so it's harder to do um there's a couple of approaches you can take here firstly i love that you're like right okay so i'll probably have the mornings myself or i can get up before other people and go and do a morning routine or do a quick sec or do something i think if you can keep that in that's brilliant with the nutrition you might want to be like okay i'm going to take this as a cruise week right i'm I'm off work. I don't know if you're traveling for the full two weeks, but let's say it's a week that you're seeing family or something. How often do you see family? Like you want to go, you want to create experiences. Now, I think a lot of people take this the wrong way and they're like, right, I can either stay on track with my goals or have a, have a life or like enjoy my time with my family. It's like, no, 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 you can absolutely do both. And I, I would argue they both kind of lend into each other, right? Overeating is not that fun. You certainly don't need to eat more to be present and enjoy time with your family but you also don't want to be really hungry right so you might want to say I'm going to bring my calories up to 1800 now for you that will still be a deficit albeit a much smaller deficit right so you're probably eating up about half of your deficit by increasing to 1800 fine fat loss is going to slow for a week 
but that's a nice compromise, right? Like that probably means I'm I'm not going to be as hungry. I'm going to be able to be more present. I'm going to be able to not stress about food choices and enjoy the time with my family, which this week is way more important than making slightly faster fat loss results, right? That would be the kind of choice that I'd make. You have to make this choice, not me. But that would probably be the compromise I would make. I'd be like, yeah, I'll tighten things up when I get back home. But this week, I really want it to be about family and friends, right? So that's what I'm going to choose to do. I know that I'm still going to make progress, just maybe not as fast. And I wrote an article about this. I call them cruise weeks, right? Where you take the pressure off a little bit. Some people come all the way up to maintenance or you just give yourself a little bit more. So in this case, you are still making progress, but you're just cruising along at a slow rate instead of like pushing yourself to go a little bit faster. And that would be the approach that I would take. Yeah, I, I agreed. Um, I think number one, um, we socialize for the personalities, not the calories, is the first thing I would always say. You're not there to socialize for food. You're so there socializing with food. Food, you can say no to. So that's the first one. But I think the other one as well, it sounds like you're, you're being flexible within your routine and you're actually trying to make it work, which is exactly the mindset that you need to have. So many people look at like a process like this and they are like so rigid that they can't do anything and that's not how life works life will throw you shit life will throw you socializing life will throw you all manner of stuff and it's about being able to be flex flexible enough within your routine that you can bend the routine to fit what happens so if you're going away you still get your steps in you still get your training in which it seems that you're going to do happy days you maybe need to be a little bit slacker on nutrition for the week exactly as i said a cruise week but um the mindset that you've got on that one is the fact that you're trying to be flexible and make it work regardless of the fact that you're away. That's num- That's your biggest win already. And you've not even been, you're not away. You might not even be away yet. So that's a massive win. And most people, that's the first falling point is them trying to get their, their routine of what they put in place. And it's all falling apart because they're not in it. That's not how this works. You have to bend that routine and make it fit. It's not it's not a solid structure. It's something that you can bend and apply to your what you need to do. And as far as I'm concerned, it seems that you've got things ticked off quite nicely already. So do what you're going to do. Nail it. Yeah, very impressed with the mindset. And then the real focus of like a cruise week is one, you go in with intent. So you're not like, oh, everything's ruined. I'll just give up. Like you're like, no, I'm going in with the intent of this. And secondly, the point is you're not going backwards, right? And I think people will be really surprised at the difference it makes between like losing fat and then when, I don't know, like a really busy week happens, just staying where they are and then progressing again the next week versus what usually happens, which is making great progress and then almost like undoing the progress on the week where they can't hit every target because they think, well, what's the point doing everything if I can't do it perfectly? And then actually they end up putting weight back on or putting fat back on. So the point in the cruise week is like, you might make a little bit of progress, but you're not going backwards. And then we can regroup, get set and go again when you've got more, when the focus is more on fat loss again. That's it. Okay, Sarah, any tips on how to build a better sleep pattern? I struggle with waking up in the night. I get to bed fine, but I'm desperate to improve this. Um, the, the number one thing here is to figure out why. So if you're waking up in the night because you're worried about something, 
that would have one solution. If you're waking up in the night because you're really hungry, that would have another solution. If you're waking up because it's loud outside, like, or it's too hot in your room, like what happens when you wake up and then why can't you get back to sleep? That would be my first thing because there's almost no point as offering solutions if we don't know why it's happening. So I would start maybe keeping a bit of a journal of that. Like, when am I waking up? Is it the days that I exercise late at night? Is it the days that after dinner I had a diet Coke and I don't think about the caffeine that's in it? Is it the day, you know, like try and kind of piece together what it could be and then we can come up with some solutions for it. Um, one yeah. thing I really like to do, although it probably doesn't sound so much like this because it's often people that struggle to get to sleep is because they're overthinking everything and they're stressed out about the things that they've got to do. And what I like to do is like a bit of a brain dump before bed. So, okay, like I sit here and I write a list of things that I need to do when I get up. Like what's what do I need to do the next day? And then I'm like, right, that's in my head. I know I've written it down, so it's going to get done. And now I can kind of shut off and just go to sleep. That is so simple, but it helps so much. Now, if it's a specific thing that you're stressing over, again, I would write a list or I would write about it, like do a bit of journaling, write about it. What am I stressed about? And then one really important question, what can I do about that right now? Probably nothing, right? What can I do about that tomorrow? Maybe something, write that down. But there'll be a lot of things that you cannot do, right? Or you cannot control. And I think just writing that down and appreciating it and being like, right, okay, well, have I done everything I can at the moment? Is there anything else I can do? No, right. So put it to bed and literally go to bed. And just putting it down on paper really helps. Yeah, that's it. Um, and then I think if, once you've worked that out, if it's maybe stuff like, you know, you can bring in some sort of sleep protocols as well before you go to bed, like no screen. Like I'm I'm really good with that. I can, I can put a screen off it at 9.59 and I'll be dead to the world by 10 but I know a lot of people find it really difficult like Laura finds it really difficult to switch off if she's had a, a screen on up until a certain point so she'll go to bed and read for a bit just to sort of calm down slightly whereas I'm the opposite if I go to bed and read I'll end up reading until about one in the morning because I just get stuck in the book so <laughs> it's like every, you need to find the sort of, you need to find the routine that and the protocol that works for you Another one for me is you remember you know olive oil that you use for like cleaning your nose and stuff. It's like kind of really mentholing the eucalyptus. Mm. I put that under my pillow and that just wipes me out. Like honestly, as soon as I smell that, I'm like out. Lavender gives me fear. You olive oil win. Ah, I never thought about that. But there I'm are things that like like link you. So as as an example, like you're not meant to stay in bed if you can't sleep because. Yeah. The whole point is like, okay, well, bed is where I sleep. And so your body or your mind, everything kind of like links to when I'm lying down in bed, then I fall asleep. Now, if you're staying, if you're like lying there awake, I think they normally say for more than 20 minutes, you should get up and do something and then go back so that you're not getting used to the fact that, oh, bed is somewhere where I am awake. Like it shouldn't be. Unless you're having a great time. <laughs> yeah, she will. She will where we were. <laughs> it's it was nice. Nice. <laughs> Six of dams. Uh, <laughs> okay, right. Um, next question. My question is, I don't eat back calories from exercise. I've done more steps this week than I was allocated. Should the excess step go towards creating a calorie deficit, it could potentially be very handy for the Easter weekend. 
Um, I mean, it's a little bit late now, but I would generally say no. Because I think you can get into the routine of them being like, oh, if I want to eat more, I'll just do excessive and, and like ridiculous levels of steps. And then you're kind of trading steps for calories and it gets all like a little bit messy. If there was a week where you were like, for some reason, I'm going to have to do like 20,000 steps a day, then we might need to look at your calories so you're not in such a big deficit that it ramps up hunger or you find it really hard to stick to. To be honest, you'd probably be like, as long as you've got fat to lose, you'd be fine in a slightly bigger deficit. If you're habitually moved a little bit more, it's not that big of a deal. But I wouldn't add them back on. It's mainly about the reason that we don't like to do that. It's the same thing with turning off like your exercise if you're tracking on my fitness pal because it gives you extra calories. Is because we don't want you to build a bad relationship with food and, re- and exercise. Exactly as Emma said, like you thinking that because you've done an extra 30 minutes in the gym that you can now have an extra 400 calories like that's a real bad way of it's like it's it's like a gambler chasing his losses you're somebody's some you've lost money so you keep chucking money at it to try and to try and claw it back and that's not how we want you to look at exercise we have the privilege to be able to step set foot into a gym and be able to train and we have the privilege of being able to put food in our plates and they, those things should not be a trade-off against each other. And they certainly shouldn't be fighting with each other to um, override each other, basically. So the, the relationship between the two needs to stay good and it needs to stay on point that you in your enjoyment of exercise and your enjoyment of the food that you eat and not a trade-off between the two. So mm-hmm. very okay. important. Last question is from Catherine, but it's actually from a one-to-one client. Do you think it's more important to have meals regularly or to listen to my hunger and fullness cues? So if I had a pretty big dinner and so I wasn't hungry the next day for breakfast, should I still eat it so that I don't get overly hungry later or just skip breakfast? What I often did in such situations in the past was that I maybe had only a portion of protein, but no full breakfast. Um. It depends. Yeah, as usual, like it depends, right? If you're someone who's like, oh yeah, I'm not that hungry. And then you skip breakfast and then you end up overeating massively at lunchtime. Like obviously that didn't work, right? But the good thing is we can learn from these things. You know, like that's not a failure. That's just a lesson. You'd be like, okay, hmm, noted. When I do skip breakfast, even if I didn't feel that hungry, then maybe I should have had it. Now, I actually think the compromise that she's put in here, it works really well. So like, I'm not going to not have anything. I'm not that hungry, but I'm going to have something because I know that if I don't, like I probably will be really hungry by lunch and then I might make poorer food choices. But all of this is about getting to know yourself because for some people, I'm like they might be like, yeah, no, I wasn't hungry at all. So I didn't have my breakfast, had my lunch, was totally fine. And I'd eaten more the night before anyway. And it kind of just evened it out. Cool. That's <laughs> not a problem in the slightest. But you might be someone who does find that they then end up overeating or the restriction isn't particularly good for them for some reason you know like it's figuring out what works for you there's no necessarily right or wrong answer here um I do think what's quite interesting is like the importance of listening to your hunger and fullness cues like I think sometimes we go so far into like what's technically right that we forget to just be like well you know if you're not hungry if you're not hungry and fat loss is your goal then I probably wouldn't bother eating you know like obviously the extreme of that no but like if you have 
relatively normal hunger and satiety cues and you're like I'm really not hungry like what why would you eat like one you're not going to enjoy it two you're eating calories when your goal is to limit them so that you create a bit of a deficit by the end of the day the only like kind of caveats that would be if you know that you will not have the opportunity to eat for the next four hours because you're on shift or something and you know that you know by lunchtime you're going to be really really hungry then you might want to have a little something but yeah I I would kind of listen to my hunger cues on that one yeah, I think it's, I think you you've you just said it. I think it's there's no right nor wrong. It's what's right or wrong for you and how you feel. So if like for instance, I don't do breakfast, I have a shake in the morning, and that does me until about maybe 12, 1 o'clock. Because that's my busiest time of the day. So I don't have time to think about food. I don't have the time to go and I have my meals prepped, but I don't have time to between clients go and deal with that. So I'll have a shake in the morning and I'll have my lunch as the next one. And that works well for me. But if I was finding I was getting to 11 o'clock, half 11, and, and I was ending up trying to chuck food in there and overeating, I would maybe have to re, re-look at the fact that if I'm not having breakfast. But it's about finding what works for you. That's, that's, that's always how it's going to be. This is so funny, right? I've just realised I'm on the Commit to Six site. And um, when I go to members to let new members in, so just let the new people in, it um it tells me it always comes up right emily's always at the top and i don't know why i've never thought about it but it's it comes up with top members so top. emily emily is the top member above me <laughs> then there's me below <laughs> i'm like oh all right fine wait a minute i need to up your game <laughs> yeah well andy you're like only just in the top 10 oh, so no. emily me wendy bell dawn taylor Rachel, Maria, Catherine's got up there. Babe, Catherine's above you. Kathy, Andrea, Rina, and then you, Andy. <laughs> um, Shona's way down there as well. Didn't even know we had a ranking tape. This is going to be great for me. I mean, <laughs> not even in the top 10 of the members at the moment. Come on now. <laughs> Come on. Anyway, congratulations, Emily. Had no doubt, really. um yeah okay everyone thank you for your attention i hope this has been a useful podcast if you've enjoyed it please share it tell us you've enjoyed it maybe like it no what do you do review it review it five stars always five Uh, five stars ideally any constructive feedback please just send me privately i would (laughs) always take it on board Um, that's all Ciao.